wonderful place that all kids dream of going to every day for every meal, McDonald's. <laughs> and this McDonald's that I went to when I was very young had a play place. And I was really excited to go to this play place. I scarfed down all my food and went to play uh, at the play place. I have three sisters, and as was usually custom, I went off and played by myself, and they went off and played with each other, three sisters. And I was playing, having a good time, and I met someone, another boy about my age, and we became best friends instantly. This was my McDonald's friend, and uh, I loved him as a brother that I never had. And we spent so much time together in the play place, having so much fun with each other, and just, we were going to be... Lifelong friends till we die. We were going to keep in contact and we were not going to let this relationship go. As we were playing, this McDonald's friend saw my three sisters and asked me a question. Hey, we didn't even know each other's names. Uh, are those your sisters? I said, yeah, those are my sisters. And he said, go beat them up. <laughs> what? I'm not even making this story up. He said, go beat them, go beat them up. And I was like, what? No, I'm not going to beat up my, my sisters. And so, this, this McDonald's friend did not take to that very well. And he decided to turn up the heat. He got a little upset. He said, hey, if you don't beat up your sisters, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is a tough decision. Of, I want to keep my McDonald's friend for life. But I'm at risk of losing my friend if I don't beat up my sisters. Eight-year-old Josh knew what happens when you beat up your sisters. Mom comes down on you. And so I was not going to beat up my sisters for fear of my mom's wrath. I was dead if I were to beat up my sisters. And so I said, no, I'm not going to beat up my sisters. It was like the second time. But this McDonald's friend, was becoming less and less of a friend, uh, turned up the heat even more. And he said, if you don't beat up your sisters, I'm going to beat you up. Oh my goodness! He's turning it up all the way. That now the decision that I have in front of me is even worse. It's not just losing a life, possible lifelong friendship, but getting beat up. And so I was presented at the young age of eight with a death or death decision. I hope we can all understand that what a death or death decision is. That if I choose to uh, beat up my sisters, then my mom is gonna uh, <laughs> let me have it. And if I don't beat up my sisters, then this guy is gonna beat me up. That is a bad or bad decision, a death or death decision. And I said, no, I'm not gonna beat up my sisters. Boom, I got punched in the stomach by this kid. And I fell down and I started laughing. And he got really furious. And he said, it's not funny. And he punched me again and punched me a third time. But I don't know, by the grace of God, I just could not stop laughing. I just laughed so much that he actually turned away crying and left the play place. I never saw him again. <laughs> it really is a story that seems too uh, unbelievable to be true. But you see, that's an example of a death or death decision. Now, from the scriptures, we're going to examine a, a real death or death decision. From the book of Numbers, we're going to be covering a, a larger story, the story of Balaam. And uh, Balaam's story, you could easily preach three sermons on uh, the story of Balaam. But I'm going to condense it into one, so I'm going to try to go pretty fast 
through helping us understand the story of Balaam. The story of Balaam uh, is in uh, Numbers chapter 22, 23, 24. Those three chapters. I'm not going to be reading all three chapters. But to give you uh, some context and talk about the story of Balaam. You know, when I was a kid and learning about the story of Balaam, okay, what's the story of Balaam about? Oh, that's, that's the donkey. That's the talking donkey story. That's what I kind of knew and remembered of that as a kid. Oh, that's the talking donkey story. But if we look and really understand the story of Balaam, that's just the middle bit of the story. That doesn't, that's just the build-up for the ultimate conclusion of the story of Balaam. So the fact that the thing that most people remember about the story of Balaam doesn't get at the main purpose of the story of Balaam is kind of sad. But we will go into uh, that. So the background of the story of Balaam. So at this point in the book of Numbers, Israel, the tribes of Israel have been wandering around the wilderness <clears throat> south of the promised land. They've been wandering around for many, many years. And towards the end of the book of Numbers, where we are in uh, Numbers 22, that um, the people of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land. They're setting up, going to uh, what do you say is a staging ground for their conquest of Canaan. And that is um, to the east of the Jordan River, what's called the Plains of Moab. They're heading that direction to prepare to cross the Jordan River in the book of Joshua and go into the Promised Land. But the people have been wandering and wandering. And building up, as they've been approaching the Plains of Moab, they've been encountering some of the Canaanites who have not looked too fondly on them. And in Numbers chapter 21, there were actually two battles that took place as two kings of Canaan came against the people of Israel to try and destroy them. And not even these two, these two kings could not destroy the people of Israel. God gave his people success against these two kings. There was a third king who saw all this happen, who saw these battles took place. And he was concerned about his chances defeating the Israelites, because this was the, the king of Moab. His name was Balak. And he saw Israel gain victory over these other kings, and he needed a plan to be able to destroy Israel. And so, in Numbers chapter 22, his plan, you see what the plan is of Balak, king of the Moabites. Balak knows of this man called Balaam, and it's kind of hard with these names, Balak and Balaam. And I'll probably be confusing the, the two, so just, just hang with me. Uh, that Balak is wanting Balaam to come to curse the people of Israel before the battle as kind of a preparatory measure to destroy, to ensure his victory against these people who are coming up to his land. And Balaam is a prophet who knows of the one true God. Um, an example uh, similar to uh, Melchizedek of someone who is not directly related to the people of God and yet knows and uh, of the one true God and has communion with him. So Balak sends princes and envoys to go to Balaam and say, hey, we're, we'll give you tons of money, tons of silver and gold and honor to come and curse the people of Israel. And Balaam responds with, hey, I can't curse the people of Israel 
Because God has told me that these people are blessed and they're not cursed. So the princes go away and they go back to Balak and he sends even more princes a second time to go to Balaam and say, hey, we'll give you tons of gold and tons of silver and whatever you wish for the king to do, the king Balak will do it for you. Extra riches, extra honors. This is a test for Balaam. How's he going to do in this test? What is he going to choose? Is he going to choose the world and worldly games? Or is he going to choose to declare the word of the Lord? Because the word of the Lord concerning Israel, that Balaam knows, is that Israel is not cursed. He's being asked to curse Israel, but Israel's not cursed. So he is given this decision. Is he going to curse Israel and get lots of worldly wealth? Or is he going to be faithful to the word of God? And once again, even with more princes and more money offered to him, he says, I'm not going to do it. But then the Lord says to him, he says to Balaam, he says, hey, you can go with them, but only declare the words that I give you. And so Balaam says to the princes, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to head out tomorrow and go to Balaam. To say, okay, we depart. And then the next day, Balaam gets his donkey together and sets out to go and find Balak, the king of Moab. So, first test, Balaam succeeded. He chose, he told the princes very clearly, I'm going to go, but I'm only going to speak the word of the Lord. Alright, test succeeded. But then we get to a second test. Because as Balaam is going on this journey, riding his donkey, eventually he starts considering this decision. He starts thinking, you know, maybe it, maybe it wouldn't be so bad to, to curse Israel. You know, and honestly, I might be risking a lot here by not cursing Israel when ba- that's what Balak wants me to do. To dishonor a king and to insult a powerful king of Moab to his face. Balak would very easily kill me and he would, it would make him furious and... I'm likely putting my life on the line if I'm going to declare the word of the Lord to this King Balaam. He's, he's probably going to kill me if I do this. And then there's the other aspect of it, that if I do curse Israel, I'll probably keep my head, and I'll get tons of wealth and money and be set for life. And so some, at some point during this journey, Balaam switches his view of what he's going to do. Now, it's not explicitly stated in this uh, text that Balaam had changed his mind, but that is what has been understood in the story. And we see that actually in the New Testament. In the book of 2 Peter, uh, Peter is talking about the, the madness and how evil false teachers are and false prophets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he compares them to Balaam. Talking about false teachers in 2 Peter 2.15, he says that forsaking the right way, these false prophets have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgressions. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So... That's what had happened. That there was a change in Balaam's mind that he was going to do a mad thing. And he was going to curse 
whom God had blessed. So we get to the story of the, the donkey, which is in itself a test of is Balaam going to be steadfast or is he going to slip away? And unfortunately, Balaam slips. That three times his donkey tries to stop the journey because the donkey sees an angel of the Lord blocking the path of Balaam. And after the third time of stopping Balaam's progress, the, the donkey calls out and says, Balaam, stop. Why are you doing this to me? There is an angel of the Lord who will strike you down. Who will strike both of us down if we continue. And Balaam, through hearing his donkey with human voice, then sees the angel of the Lord in his path. And then talks to this angel, who's, who the angel responds to Balaam saying, Yeah, I was, I was going to kill you. And Balaam repents of his sins, saying, I was wrong. I was sinful. I had sin in my heart. Okay, I, I am, I'm not going to... I messed up big time. And the angel says, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to let you go. But speak the word of the Lord. Only speak the word of the Lord. Okay. So then, eventually, Balaam goes and finds King Balak. First test, he succeeded. He chose, he told the princes that he was going to speak the word of the Lord. But second, he was tested the second time of being steadfast in that commitment. And he failed in that. And the angel was about to strike him down. So he failed the second test. But the angel gives him grace. And God gives him so much grace. Three times the donkey trying to stop his path. Even speaking through uh, this donkey, giving a human voice as a wonderful grace to Balaam, whose madness was overtaking him. But now we get to the third test. This is the real death or death decision that has been set up. Balaam is sure that if he speaks the word of the Lord and does not curse Israel, that Balak is going to kill him as such an ins- as being such an insult to Balak. If I, if I speak the word of the Lord, Balak's going to kill me. But then from his experience with the angel and the donkey, if I don't speak the word of the Lord, this angel's going to kill me. It's a true death or death decision. So this third test of Balaam. Is he going to speak the word of the Lord to Balak? And that's where we get into our text as printed on the back of your bulletin. Let me read for us. Starting at the end of chapter 22, which gives some, some context to what has happened. And in the morning, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to Bamath Baal. And from there, he saw a fraction of the people. It was the people of Israel. The people are so big that they can only see a part of them. And Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars, and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said. And Balak and Balaam offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Now, as I continue to read, I'm going to put a little bit of a dramatic emphasis to help us understand the immersed and picture this story that's happening. You, you know, you close your eyes and picture these seven massive altars, each one with a bull and a ram on it. Is quite the scene that's happening on this high place looking at the people of Israel. You can almost envision it like a movie in your mind. 
And uh, and Balaam said to Balak, verse 3, Stand beside your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet with me, and whatever he shows, I will tell you. Balaam's making sure that Balak knows, I'm just a messenger. But that doesn't give him confidence that Balak won't kill the messenger. And God, uh, and he went to a bare height, and God met Balaam. And Balaam said to him, I've arranged the seven altars, and I've offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. And he returned to him, and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing there beside his burnt offering. The pressure is mounting as he sees his audience of not just Balak, but all his princes, all the princes that tried to convince him to uh, curse Israel. So the pressure is Balaam's really feeling the heat, and not just from the altars. <clears throat> and Balaam took up his discourse and said, okay, he's thinking, it's, it's go time. Uh, let, me, let me just let me just stick with some of the facts. Um, uh, from Aram, uh, Balak has brought me uh, the the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Stick with the facts. Uh, he has said, uh, "Come, curse Jacob for me, and come uh, denounce Israel." Okay, I gotta speak the word of the Lord. <laughs> How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Back, back to the facts. Okay. Uh, for from the top of the crags I see him. Uh, from the hills I behold him. A people dwelling alone, not counting itself amongst the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? They are a numerous people. And then Balaam resolves. This is how he ends his, his speech. Let me die the death of the upright, and let my end be like his. He's ready to die. So I'm declaring, yeah, Israel is so numerous, so numerous, so blessed, you can't even count how numerous are the, is the dust of Israel, which uh, is in some ways a, a callback to the blessing of Israel, that they will be as uh, as numerous as the dust or the sand and seashore. But Balaam is determined. He's gonna, he passes the death or death decision. He chooses not to uh, fulfill what the world is tempting him to do, but he chooses to die to sin and live unto righteousness. He's going to die the death of the righteous, not the death of a madman and seeking worldly gain. It's an amazing conclusion to his, to his speech. To the first speech because God blesses him. And you think after declaring this that uh, Balak would kill him. And this is the response, verse 11. And Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, Must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Now, the story continues, and Balak doesn't kill Balaam. He gets really angry, but for some reason decides, oh, it was the wrong spot. They go to a new location, offer up seven more altars with seven more bulls and rams, and tells Balaam to sneak again. Balaam goes up after getting one 
fairly timid kind of speech uh, before. He then gets an opportunity to speak again. Is he going to speak the word of the Lord? Is he going to be steadfast? He wasn't before. He failed when he was traveling to Balak. But he's given a second opportunity to speak. He takes up his discourse and blesses Israel with more courage, more confidence, more directness. And Balak is furious, just like my McDonald's friend. He gets even more mad. And he, but he does not kill Balaam, brings him to another spot, offers up more offerings to the Lord, and gives Balaam another opportunity to speak. And Balaam, with even more courage, declares the word of the Lord and blesses Israel, blesses the people of God, does not curse them. And Balak is so angry at this point, but Balaam doesn't even give him time to act on his anger as he gives another discourse and says again, gives even more blessing to Israel. But this fourth discourse is actually a wonderful messianic prophecy that Balaam is blessed to be able to give, that he, through veiled uh, signs, is shown this promised rod coming from Israel, the rod of rulership who will judge the nations, this, this coming star, this rising star, this prophecy of Christ that is given. Uh, from uh, through Balaam, from the Lord. And Balaam is blessed as well. And he's not dead yet. And so he gives an, another discourse. And he not just after blessing the people of Israel, declaring the coming of Christ, but then looks to all the princes and King Balak, who he was previously afraid of, and he goes and curses them. He goes to one of the princes and says, Hey, you, you're the first to go. So I'm not trying to point you out. Like, you, you're going to be the first to go. And you over there, you're going to survive a little bit, but you're going to be destroyed too. And you two guys in the back, your destruction is going to be awful. And he, he curses these princes. He gets to go home. No one just takes up a sword and kills him. And God blesses him and lets Balaam return to his home. He succeeded what he thought was a death of death decision. And God provided and by his grace did not let Balaam die. Even he was he chose to die to his sin. That he was being tested and was going to declare the word of the Lord. He was being tested and he was going to declare the truth. In the trial, speak the truth. That is what we need to take from the story. Some points of application as we wrap this up. First is to know the word of the Lord. You can't speak the word of the Lord if you don't know the word of the Lord. And so that's always the first thing to do, to know God's word as it has been revealed to us in Holy Scripture. To know the word of the Lord, to know the gospel, and to know how to declare it to others, to know what God says about Everything. And to, to seek that, to seek to know the word of the Lord, to know the grace of God. And that message has declared throughout all scripture. Secondly, that we need to speak the word of the Lord in all the trials that we face. We face trials all the time. Most of the time, we're not aware of all the trials that we face. Let me give some examples for us to, to think of. 
the, uh, always a test of, um, of lying to the, the government, thinking of when it was tax season and, and filling out these documents and reporting with the knowledge of, if I change some of these numbers, then I could get more for myself, then I could, I could, I could lie and cheat, not declare what is true, and for my own gain. I had an opportunity to uh, teach economics at a public high school, and uh, we were talking about insurance, and uh, we had a little simulation uh, game of insurance and insurance claims and stuff like that, and we found out that the people who made the most insurance claims ended up with the most money, and some of the students were like, what if we just lied about some of these uh, insurance claims? Uh, to do that. I said, that's called insurance fraud. It is illegal, but people do it as a crime to get money. It's, it's a test. Uh, another test of oh, what gain are we going to seek? Are we going to compromise the truth for our own gain? You know, for, for kids, lying and cheating on, on tests is a constant uh, call uh, for them to seek worldly advantage, but uh, not declare uh, what is true. And we have tests all the time in all of our conversations with each other. Whenever you're telling a story or, or talking about something, there's oftentimes a test of how are you going to tell it? How are you going to describe how you acted in this situation? There's always a temptation of, well, if I were it this way, it'll make me look better. It'll make me look greater. Or changing the truth a little bit to give myself more credit. Or, or tell a story in such a way to bring glory to myself. We just failed a death or death decision. Are we going to die to our sin, to our, our old sinful self that causes us to want to bring all the glory and fame to ourselves and to not shed the light on our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ? Or are we going to endeavor to declare what is true, following Scripture in any situation? Do we lie to make ourselves look Better. If you are, uh, if you are uh, called to uh, confront a, a coworker who is deceiving the, the boss, are you going to uh, approach that and confront that deception with the truth? You know, there are times when, in conversations, we're asked, of, "Hey, what side are you going to take? Are you going to take this position or this position? Are you going to agree with this person or that person?" We're tempted to going to take the uh, more popular opinion that maybe more people will like me for saying, or am I going to take the position that, that Scripture declares uh, truly gender issue? Hey, how many genders are there? Do you are you one of those people that believes that there are only two genders? It's a test from the Lord. God has made man, male, and female after His own image. Are we going to declare the truth when we're confronted? That's so many issues that we are, are tempted, that we're tested in the trial, speak the truth. You're tested by, by anger, that when we are, uh, when something makes us upset, are we going to lash out and let the sin and anger into to hurt other people? Or are we going to do what is hard and seek to make things right and to bring peace as God, his, through His Word, calls us to. The big question is, um, with those of you who have, who have families, and, and what is the message that your family declares? Are, is your family, and has been, been raised in your communities, have they been raised in a way to declare the truth 
of God? What is the message coming out of your family? Is it one that is pleasing to God? Now, sometimes we're tested in the big ways that we can see clearly death or death with whatever decision if we're going to be at risk of being killed for declaring the name of Christ. And that's a big test for, that some of us have uh, will, might may go through, and many throughout Christian history have gone through. But even the question and the test of, stole a cookie from the cookie jar, am I going to lie about it? Or am I going to say what, what is true? They're both death to death decisions. Because brothers and sisters, we are being tried all the time. Are we going to speak the word of the Lord? Are we going to speak truth? Or are we going to seek our own selfish gain? But finally, as a, our final point of application is brothers and sisters, know that you are blessed. As we saw in the story, the people of God are not cursed. They are blessed. And you might not feel that way sitting here today, that, man, I, I really do not feel like the Lord is blessing me. I feel like the Lord is cursing me. And if you actually think of the people of Israel in this story, in this time, in the book of Numbers, they have been wandering and wandering and wandering year after year after year throughout the desert. It's been hard. And they've been just wanting to go back to Egypt. They probably thought that they were being cursed. And did not admit the struggle to see the Lord's blessing. But even throughout the wandering of God's people in the wilderness, God was blessing them. And he was not cursing them, but disciplining them. Very clearly in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, which is a wonderful chapter. It's a chapter so good it preaches itself. So if you want a little sermon, you just read Deuteronomy chapter 8. But it clearly, God clearly says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that the wandering through the wilderness is to humble God's people, to teach them, to discipline them as a father to a son. And throughout the chapter, God calls people to remember, hey, I have blessed you. The clothes that you've been wearing for these 40 years, they've not rotted away. You've washed them and they have not Fallen off your back? The shoes of your feet have not crumpled and withered away. The shoes I'm wearing are need to go. Uh, and they have not lasted 40 years. But God's people were being blessed in this way. They were in the desert, but God was giving them manna from heaven and quail to eat as well. He was giving them water from the rock. Who the New Testament sees as Christ following and blessing his people. But God blesses his people. And even if you feel that you are being cursed or things are not going well in your life, know the truth that God is blessing you. And God's grace will take care of all of your needs. And even in uh, uh, this life, we can see blessings and receive blessings from God through each other. The blessings that other believers can give us through, through caring for each other, bearing one another's burdens. These are gifts of God. And I remember, brothers and sisters, that God's people are blessed. We have been blessed with the truth. With the word of God that the world does not understand. That the world does not know. God has given us a community of believers who we have such great bonds with. Namely, the bond of Jesus Christ. And that is such a wonderful bond of the shared grace that we are all called to understand and share with each other. And give gifts to each other that the world does not understand. Our fallen world does not understand grace. It does not understand the goodness of God that has been given through the unmerited salvation through Jesus Christ. 
the world doesn't understand it, but we have been blessed in that way to understand a small part yet the goodness and grace and love of God. And thinking of all the times that you've been tried, that you have gone through hardship, God has brought you through. God has blessed you. Amen. In conclusion, Balaam was given a test that he believed to be a death or death test. But he chose to die to his selfishness and sinful desires and have the word of the Lord live in him. And what an encouragement we have from the story. Balaam was put in a position where he was likely to be killed for declaring the truth. But God was exceedingly gracious and gave and preserved Balaam. Balaam was given a test to speak the truth, and he was given the courage to succeed. His mindset was much the same as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, who were given a death or death decision. Were they going to worship the statue of the king, or were they going to stand for the truth of God? And they chose the fiery furnace over the fires of hell. They courageously declared in Daniel chapter 3, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. If we are given a death or death decision where we fear that declaring the truth will lead to our death, it may but we should not fear it, for we have a hope eternal of life everlasting from our gracious sake, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, we love you and we love your word. We love the stories that are engaging and dramatic, but throughout we declare the truth, declare what is right, and give us encouragement. I thank you for the story of Balaam and the calling against seeking worldly gain and engaging in the madness of our worldly desires. Help us, Lord God, to seek what the world deems as foolishness and folly, to seek the truth of Jesus Christ that we understand and see through Scripture. Help us to love our neighbor and to follow what the Word of God says. Help us to be able to see the tests that arrive at us every single day as sin knocks on our door on a daily basis. Help us to uh, resist the devil by the power of the Holy Spirit given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.